like to uh, give a special thank you to the Hugises and the man in the back on the bass. Let's give them a hand for leading us in worship today. Thank you. Now, I mentioned something earlier, and um, usually we're worshiping God, and people are smiling, they're excited, or we're in the spirit, you know, and things are, are good like that, and then the pastor comes and, and has a message to preach, and, and some of the issues I get into, and then people go from this to like, oh no, you know, I invited somebody today, you know. Um, but maybe you've heard this quote as we begin today, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. As you think about that today, you can look and think back through our history just as a nation. One of the hardest times in American history was the Great Depression. The Great Depression, which begun around 1929, devastated the U.S. economy. A third of all banks failed. Unemployment rose to 25%. Homelessness across the nation increased. Housing prices plummeted. International trade was collapsing and deflation, not inflation, but deflation soared. It took around 25 years for the stock market to recover from the Great Depression. The interesting thing is from this time period, the Great Depression, I have some of my favorite movies during this time. Maybe you've heard of Sea Biscuit or um, the story, uh, a movie that came out in the early 2000s, um, uh, Cinderella Man. Raise your hand if you know that, so you've seen that movie. Uh, I love that because it, I love these movies because they allow us to see visually what was taking place during that time. And, and when I watch these movies, they're so real, and just looking at the hard times, you know, it brings tears to my eyes, thinking of how hard things were. They were so hard that my grandparents were still impacted and lived in that mind frame. Maybe some of you know of your parents or grandparents living the same way. But this movie, Cinderella Man, is based on a true story of James J. Braddock, who was a heavyweight boxer during this time, who began to lose matches because he had injured his hand, and you know, around this time, the Great Depression was happening. Uh, a few scenes are burned into my mind when it transitions from him being on top to him struggling to, to even bring food to the table, trying to find work. You see them outside the gates at a workplace or on the docks, and I need five men, and people, there's a hundred people there that need work. There's a scene in the movie where one of the kids steal food and they have to make that decision. You know, we're starving here, but we need to take the food back. And you see him struggling through all this, just being a, a father trying to provide food for his family. Um, I remember one scene also, it just every time I watch it, tears come to my mind or my eyes and, and uh, where they're eating. And one of the little kids said, I'm still hungry. And the dad gives her his, his food. They even... At this time, they have a community birthday party. Uh, today, everybody has these individualized birthday parties. They had a community thing for the entire community, so everybody shared the same cake as they celebrated multiple birthdays during this time. Uh, there's a, you know this, it, it's in the movie, but in reality, people were spreading out milk uh, with water to make it last. Powder milk came to be, and I remember just going to my grandparents' house, and they would still give us powdered milk. It was part of how they lived. 
The great thing about these stories is that they don't necessarily focus on the hard times. You see the hard times, but you see people emerge from the hard times. Uh, they create character in people, and people have to respond to this. How am I going to live? Am I going to just be out for my own like everyone else? And when Braddock is back on top, you know, he's, he's the heavyweight champion, and, and he's being interviewed, and he says, you know, I know what I'm fighting for now. And the interview asks him, what are you fighting for? I'm fighting for milk. I know what I need to do. I need to provide. I need to be a person that is out there not just trying to make money to buy more stuff. And Braddock, what's interesting, he is transformed by this. He actually, this is real history, he returned the relief money he got from the government. You do not hear about that. It's like, we get our money, we're good. He returned his money. Uh, affected by that, he gave to charities. He actually had homeless people come and eat and stay in his home from time to time. People were greatly affected by the Great Depression. Hard times have this intense effect on people. Um, the Great Depression, for the most part, produced the greatest generation that we know. The Great Depression was not, just, was not the first time our culture and our world has seen hard times. You can see this throughout history. There have been major wars, persecutions, genocide, pestilences, and famines recorded throughout history and actually recorded in the scriptures. And these hard times gave Christ followers, this is the thing, hard times gave Christ followers the opportunity to respond with holy love. That should always be the message to the church. We are facing a challenge. We're facing a crisis. How am I going to respond as a Christian? Am I going to run from this? Am I going to hide? Or am I actually going to dig in? Am I going to uh, alter my own uh, lifestyle to impact the lives around us? We're going to look at a few verses this morning. The last section of the scripture that was read, verses 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now the church is established. There's people that say we don't need prophets today. There was prophets in the early church led of God to speak to God's people. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. This is recorded in history. It's recorded in writings of people who are non-Christians that there was a famine. Luke uses key words and terms and places to put us in history to know this was taking place. Multiple famines throughout the Roman Empire during this time. So the disciples determined, because he had prophesied that a famine was coming, everyone according to his ability would send relief to the brothers living in Judea. This famine is hitting Jerusalem and Judea hard, and they decide to send relief. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the first work Saul is actually doing in the church. They're helping the needy. Let's pray together over God's word. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity just to experience Selah, to pause, to breathe, to meditate on who you are and your goodness. And Lord, as we look at your holy words, things recorded in history when you moved and you acted and people wrote these things down for us today, we pray that you speak to us clearly. We pray again that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. We pray that you give us eyes to see your kingdom. 
But Lord, that you would give us a heart that loves. A heart that is not out to get what is mine, but to do your will. To get involved in people's lives and to help those in need. Because that's what you've called us to do. You've transformed us that we may have the nature of you. We are your children. And you love us. You love this world. You want to see this world saved. And we pray that you move mightily through us. Lord, that you work through our church as we're working to reach Casper. Lord, that we are revived in our spirit. That we are literally equipping the saints to do what you've called us to do. That we are advancing your kingdom. That we are connecting with people and connecting people with the body of Christ. And Lord, that we are digging into this harvest. Um, It's time for the harvest. The workers are few. We pray that you call us to this work and bless your words today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now last week, church, we learned about what's next uh, for those who believe. It's a great thing to think about. I believe, but what's, what's next for me? Uh, we want everybody to get connected to the church, to be in a, a Bible study, to build Christian relationships, to grow in grace, to be praying, to seek God, uh, to demonstrate God. We want to see you grow and serve God as he's called us to do. But this great salvation we've received radically affects us. It is not just some mental ascent that I believe this kind of thing about God and it never impacts my life. It's that it it affects our mind. We believe these things. It affects our heart. We are transformed. We are born again. We are serving Christ in the world. Christianity has a great part to play in what's taking place in the world. There's evidence throughout Scripture. There's never a time when God said, I'm going to bless you, you're going to earn some money, you're to keep it all to yourself and do your own thing. It is never said. It's that God blesses us and that we are to be good stewards with His provisions. And it's not for us to hoard. It is for us to help, to demonstrate God's love and grace to those who are in need. Now, Christianity, again, is a totalizing view of reality. And here's the thing. It speaks to every area of life. I remember years ago where they were talking about cloning and they were talking about abortion and there was a panel of people talking about what we should do. And Christopher Reeves, who was still alive at the time, because they were discussing harvesting stem cells from babies, aborted babies. And people were speaking about morality and ethics and he stood up, whatever he did, he spoke up and he said, religion has no place in the discussion of science. And he is wrong. And this culture is wrong when it tells you that we don't get to speak into these areas. We have every right as God's children to speak in every area of life. That we, God's word lays claim on it. It is his kingdom. It is a totalizing worldview. It affects all areas of life. Uh, It speaks to world crisis. Whenever there is a crisis in the world, who are the first people to respond The government will eventually get there. They drag their feet, but the Christians are on the move. Our denomination has people that are first responders that get out there in hardships. They take these crisis care kits. They're showing up, giving people water, whatever it takes. Um, Christianity speaks to this. It gets involved. It It affects and speaks to economics. There is ungodly economics that destroy the economy. There's godly economics that bless people and bless those. And God is calling us to speak to all areas of life, hard times, financial challenges, whatever it may be. Now, we're beginning to see some serious economic challenges in our own culture, to say the least. 
Um, you see, ungodly and foolish politicians make poor decisions based on public opinion. I'll take a poll. Well, I don't know that you need to take a poll of people that don't understand math. If they don't know what 2 plus 2 and how that works out, they don't need to be, you don't need to base public policy on that. But there's a poll made. Corrupt minds. Ungodly worldviews. And they make decisions based on that. As Christians, we make decisions based on God's truth and, and His kingdom. Uh, the Christian view intercepts and corrects the ungodly world systems. That's what was happening in the book of Acts. They're preaching the gospel. The world, they said at the time, they were saying, you're turning the world upside down. No, God was in the business of turning the world right side up. They're in the business of correcting things, casting out darkness and evil and demons to speak the gospel and the truth and how we're to live. Through the Protestant Reformation, we had the rise of the middle class because of Christianity, because of education. It was, it was extreme poverty and the elite. And those who had money, the rich. There was no in-between. The Protestant Reformation and bringing the word to God's people allowed for the, the establishment of what we still have today, a middle class. So let's look at this phrase again. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Now my point for us today as Christians is that hard times call for a holy people to respond. We are given a challenge in every generation, and this is what we have to look at. What are we seeing taking place? How are we going to respond? And it calls, it beckons the Christians to get involved. It calls for us to be a holy people filled with the love of God. It's overflowing, and I'm concerned about everyone else in the world, that we are to be compassionate, um, that we are to do holy acts of love. That's what they were doing in the book of Acts. I want you to see this today. The first thing they did, what was this compassion? When, when the world needed God, what did they do? The first thing they did is they preached hope. They preached the resurrection. We live in a dark world. People are distanced. They are away from God. They have an empty life. This is why we're seeing increase. If you, statistically, we are seeing suicide, depression, anxiety. All of these things is because the world has systematically removed God from culture. And you have a generation that has come to be that is empty. And our job is to preach hope again. To preach that God loves people. That He is in the business of saving. This is the hope of glory Christ in us. That the resurrection truly happened. Every sermon in the book of Acts is on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not, hey, I hope you kind of do better at work. Uh, I, hope you, I hope everything's okay with that, and I hope it works out. It is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This is a hopeful message. Uh, we preach this. We believe this. Every, every uh, funeral we do, we're reminding people, your loved one died, I'm born here on earth, but we get to see them again in glory. This is the hope that we found. Jesus Christ overcame death. Now, they were facing some persecution but they were not concerned with uh, making, they were still concerned with people hearing the gospel. They didn't care. My life may end. I may go to jail. I'm going to get beat. I want to make sure that people know the good news of Jesus. Even Paul says that. I'm in chains in the book of Philippians. I'm in chains. He's writing letters to the church to encourage them. I'm in chains, but the gospel is not chained. Today, if something happened, we're like, whoa, it's me, the worst thing has happened, and we stop preaching. We are to preach the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. The early church. Um, was governed by the teachings of Christ. 
He taught us to help the poor, to be giving. He taught us the Beatitudes. He taught us to love our neighbor, um, to respond to economic needs around us. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this. I love this because it's preaching and serving. You cannot warm the hearts of people with God's love if they have an empty stomach and cold feet. The point is, if you're saying, hey, we love you, we want you to be saved, but we're not going to help your needs, there's a problem there. I I love you, I want you to be saved, but I really don't care. I just want you to say you believe so I can go on and, and tell the next person and hear them say they believe. That's not what this is about. It's about telling people about the hope of glory and that the church responds to the needs of those in the world. Um, this is what you hear sometimes. Um, Jesus loves you, and then you move on. I hope it works out for you. I will pray for you. Start praying for people in the moment. How can I really help This brings us to the next thing I want you to see is to be demonstrated. The early church was literally helping the poor. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. I love this. A lot of people read this like, oh man, there's a problem in the church. I love this. Why is this challenge happening? Because the church is growing. When the church is growing, there's growing pains, there's challenges, there's new things to work out and deal with, and here it is. They were serving the Hebrews, now Greeks are being saved, the Hellenists, and and their widows need to be served. Now how do we deal with this? How did they deal with it? They selected uh, seven people to serve. The church is growing. They decide we need to create some some deacons. Um, They chose out seven who were full of faith, full of wisdom, and the Spirit. And this is the thing, it's not just a group of people to kind of serve some plates. They had to be wise enough to, to gather money, that people were making donations. They had to keep that, be good stewards of it. They had to go and purchase food. They had to keep a number, a count of how many people needed to be fed and how many meals to prepare. There's a lot involved in this. Uh, the Bantam ministry. There's people that had to plan here in our church. Uh, this is launching this Saturday, officially, that we will be open from 9 to 12 serving meals. And on Wednesday night, Mike is putting together a meal. You've got to buy the groceries. You've got to plan for who's coming, put together a meal, provide meals. This is what we need to be doing. The early church was doing this to help widows. Um, there's times where at this time, they didn't have a retirement plan. If the sole breadwinner died, the widow is left without. They have nothing, and the church had to step up and help. And there's people in our church today, there's people in this culture today, they don't have a retirement plan left to them. They are in need. We can't solve everybody's problem, but we can be there to help the best of our ability. I love this. This is radical. This is what it says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. That they were so giving, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Radical. Now, I've read some theologians, they said the church is in this embryonic state. It is the most pure it's ever been in history. But the calling still exists. That we're building up wealth and buying materials and we have all these things. But when there is a need, we need to start selling off things. What happened is a radical understanding of God's kingdom. That God's kingdom became the most high priority. And the needs of people. I have this land, I'm not even using it, we're not even farming it, let's let's sell it, let me give it to the mission of the church and to help those in need. People are literally doing this. We see this demonstrated time and time again in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. 
James, who is the pastor in Jerusalem, who was here during this time, during this crisis, as this famine would come, he says this in the book of James. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled. How good is that? Giving them the things needed for the body is what they really need. So also faith by itself, it does not have, and when it does not have works, it's dead. I'll pray for you. He's actually speaking to what people do today. I hope it works out. Where's Christianity in that? Where is God? Where's the Holy Spirit? There should be a thing where we are able to respond on ourselves, by ourselves, without having to go through a process and a church and a vote and all of this. That we should have enough money on hand when somebody else is in need that we have a, uh, an emergency fund that you can say, I can help you at this, in this time. People in our culture, I, at one time, I read this 10 years ago, 70% of America live paycheck to paycheck. That was 10 years ago. It's most likely way above that. It's, it's moving quicker away from that. Um, that means most people have no money to help anyone else. And this is why, because we misuse money. God wants us to be good stewards that we are taken care of and that we can take care of others. There's a time in my life where we were not doing so well with, with money and um, I was pursuing school and my brother was supporting me and praying for me and, and he would call from time to time and say, Derek, do you need any help? And he would actually write a check and send it to me to help me. And that, that burned into my mind. And then when it came time, we had a family member that called and said, I am in desperate need of help. And we had started working ahead and getting a little better with our money. And we had a little bit of money. I said, we have to help. I don't have a lot, but I have something. I can't solve all their issues, but I can do something to help them in their crisis. This is what the New Testament church was doing. They're giving out hope and they are helping in the time of need. Here it is. The third thing I want you to see today, church, is a holy preparedness. Acts chapter 11, as we were reading it, we're going through what is taking place in the early church. They're preaching, it's growing, there's needs, they're taking care of needs, and then the prophet comes and it says here, so the disciples determine everyone according to his ability. Not everybody can give the same. We, we give as we're led to give in our ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders through Paul and or Saul and Barnabas. The early church dealt with persecution on a regular basis, and poverty on a regular basis. Here we see the prophet Agabus, he comes and he speaks this. And this is the thing I want you to hear today. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking through the prophet. Today, people speak the word, the, the preachers are preaching, and we come and we kind of hear some things. We may be a little convicted, and, and typically people go and do the same and go live the same. James deals with that as well. We are to be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving ourselves. That we are to hear this message and we are to respond. Could you imagine the prophet comes, tells them there's a famine coming? Eh. That might happen. We don't trust all these prophet guys. And when the famine happened, they were unprepared. We can watch and see with the wisdom of God and being led with the Spirit, watching what's taking place in our culture. If you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is telling us something is happening. And the church needs to be the church. We've been fighting hard in the 21st century to undo what the church was doing for decades. Church growth movement. It worked hard. Let's get a bunch of people here. We won't preach the gospel. We'll make people feel good. We'll count the numbers and act like the church is growing and doing good. And they never really did what the early church did. 
You preach salvation, and that people need to repent from sin. It's not an easy message. There's good and there's bad things we've got to talk about. There's the love of God and there's the judgment of God. But the church really got this, and they really lived it out. And the, the churches that actually grow disciples are the ones that are actually getting in between people's lives and helping the poor and doing what we're called to do. I cannot say I'm a Christian and do unchristian. I cannot say I'm a Christian and not care about the brothers in need in the church and those in need in our community. Here it is, they respond. What are we seeing taking place in our culture? It doesn't take a genius. What did you hear this week? How many cattle died? You'll brush it off, but there's a pattern taking place. They said two to 10,000. I don't know how they get that number. It was the mass feeding time with the cattle. Heat wave comes through, probably mismanagement. What's that going to happen? What's going to affect the beef cost? That's going to affect that, right? What else happened? Raise your hand if you heard of any chicken houses burning down. Mysteriously. Now, I'm not this conspiracy theorist person. You can look and see a chicken house burned down, another chicken house burned down, another chicken house burned down, and not just this year. It's been going on. I watched, I looked back, I think 2018, multiple has happened. Increase in gas, increased uh, by double by the end of the year. They said it could be up to 8 to $10. How's that going to affect your budget? Is that going to be easy times or hard times? Gas prices increase. It's a tax across the board to all people. It affects every business. What are we seeing? In my lifetime, I've never seen empty shelves in a grocery store except there in hurricanes and, and ice storms in the south. And they got rid of all the eggs and the milk <laughs> and all the bread, and that was it. Everything else was there. Now you're starting to see whole aisles with rows and shelves missing things. Food shortages. Infamil, baby food, shortages. Are you paying attention enough to see, with wisdom, that something's not right? And so there, there's many things taking place. You have foolishness taking place, and you have people who are living ungodly, and God has to respond to those things. You know what King Solomon said? This is wisdom. The prudent... The wise see danger and hide themselves. They prepare for it, but the simple go on and suffer for it. When you see the thing happen, you are to, to trim things back and recognize, hey, something's not right here. I'm still spending the way I've always spent, and, and prices are going up, and there they're ends up being a time where it stops. You have to respond. You have to prepare, or you suffer loss. There are many famines throughout the Old Testament there was a famine during the time of Abraham. He was called to the promised land. He's there not long. There's a famine. There's a famine in Egypt. The producer of grain, the major producer of grain of the time, it affected the family of Jacob. Thankfully, Joseph was in second in command. What did they do? God moved and spoke through a dream. Joseph hears the dream, and God gives Joseph the wisdom in how to deal with the coming crisis and the famine. Now, they had seven years of plenty. That's unheard of in farming. They might have two years, a bad year, two bad years, another year. There's, there's not really seven years of plenty. That was a miracle in itself. But they had to respond and take a portion of that away and start saving it and being prepared for the famine. So that's the one. They saw this. It had nothing to do with the ungodly people. It had to do with the famine coming, and they had to respond, and it ended up saving um, Joseph's family. Two other famines in the Old Testament, Elisha and Elijah. Things were horrible. Those famines came because the people turned away from God. It was a punishment. Things had gotten so bad, there was no rain. They were selling 
a donkey's head. Things were so bad, they're selling a donkey's head for food for two pounds of silver. That's how bad they... What is money worth when you have no food? It actually gets even worse than that during the time of Elisha. That they, there was cannibalism things had gotten so bad. Now, we're not there. I'm just saying that things can get worse. We always think, eh, things will be taken care of. Here's the thing. Today, most believers would say that worshiping or making a false idol of money or material possessions is a big problem. We would say that. But how many of us completely ignore our growing dependence on government to solve our problems and provide for our needs? Government in our culture has become our God to provide. What does everybody say? The government's to, to solve all our problems. What percentage of citizens in the Western nations today think that government is more important economically than God? When they started talking about giving out relief and money, what were you thinking? I hope we get that money. I'm glad the government's responding. We're like, something's not right here. God, we need you to intervene. Now, God does not turn a blind eye to these issues. And here it is. I want you to see, I have a book here. Time's getting away from us. I have just a few things to share. The Salt Plan. It's about this thick, 135 pages, give or take. Um, it's How to Be Prepared for an Economic Crisis of Biblical Proportions, written by Chuck Bentley. One of the best books I've ever read in my life. I want you to read the Bible, but I want you to be educated in other things. It tells you how to deal with crisis. But I want you to, to hear something he says here. As we look across the landscape of the West today, we see country after country on the verge of economic collapse. Self-made victims of their own foolish policies. They have rejected God and his financial principles, replacing him with inventions of their own. Bad politicians create bad policies that hurt the economy. Then they come up with more bad policies to try to correct the problems they cause. God hasn't, doesn't have to send locusts to make his disapproval known. He can simply withhold his blessing. Are we beginning to see signs of a divine disapproval now as nations teeter on the brink of bankruptcy? That's just one section in here. Um, as we're seeing this take place, I read this book 10 years ago. It came out, I think, 2011. As challenging as things are today, we should be thankful that there is a system of relief. Part of me is like, I'm glad if somebody's disabled or something bad happens or you're left without a job, you know, we have unemployment. But in the time of the New Testament, there was none of this. There was not a relief plan for an economic crisis. There was not an economic impact payment that came in. And, and you got a card to have money to buy things that you needed, and people bought all kinds of toys with that money. But they did have the church at that time, and the church stood in to help. And for us, the calling for us today is that there may come a time where the government promises you money, and it doesn't come through. Watch what has taken place. Our government is borrowing money from other governments to give relief to other nations. And eventually that comes to a halt. You can't play that game forever. And our government may promise money and you think, okay, everything's going to be okay. And then maybe the money doesn't get deposited. Now here's some things we can learn from these past famines. First thing I want you to see. Seek God. If you would scroll forward. Seek God and truly depend on him. The scriptures tell us, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. There's still a remnant of people who believe in our nation. Uh, we are to cry out to God. We want God to respond to our needs. 
that God would give us people that would make good decisions, that we would love God, that we would seek Him in all that we do. The second thing I want you to see is we prepare, is to live prepared. There's a whole section in this book. I don't have time to go through all of it. I could do a 10-part series on an economic crisis, and the church would most likely empty out. Simply this, downsize. Start downsizing now. Stock up some supplies. I'm not a, a hoarder person, but I think you need to be prepared. Our generations, the greatest generation had it figured out. They canned food. They had a, a storehouse of food. Uh, when the thing happened with COVID and, and toilet paper, out of all things, uh, get a bidet, for crying out loud. Um, toilet paper. Oh, no. Worst crisis in the world. Guess what? We never worried because we keep everything we need, for the most part, on hand. People asked if we had extra. Here's some extra. Let us help you. Eventually, hopefully, toilet paper returns. Um, but stock up on some su supplies. Uh, be thrifty. Quit buying things brand new. Use wisdom. A common expression during the Great Depression was this. Use it up, wear it out, make it do, or live without. Today's expression is this. Buy it now, throw it out, buy a new one. Don't go without. We have desires, we watch things, we buy things we don't need, and we continue to deplete our wealth, and we have no money to even take care of our own business, much less anyone else. Three, we keep preaching and remembering the poor. It is always that. We preach the hope of the gospel, that we trust in God, that he provides all our needs according to his riches in glory, and we help those in need. And you have to move from a place where I've not done good with my money, I need to start doing well with my money, that way we can take care of our basic needs and help others. This book actually says that you should have three months of income to prepare. Uh, three to six months. How close are you to that? That is not easy to be fully prepared. Fourth thing, hard times. This is the thing. Hard times, a crisis, calls for holy people to respond with the love of God. Nobody in the world said, I'm looking forward to visiting a church this Sunday and hearing about the hard times and the economical crisis. They want to pat on the back and they want to say, well, how can I uh, build my wealth and, and be a blessing or God blesses me with more money so I can buy more stuff as all these preachers do on TV. They're driving cars that cost more than an annual income, an average annual income for most of us. Uh, all this stuff, that's not what Christianity is about. It's about being obedient to God, being prepared and being able to respond and be loving to those in need. And here it is. I just want to leave you with this. Will you be prepared to demonstrate holy love in hard times? Right now, as we just see, they're passing the buck. It eventually ends. As we see things happen, we've been through some hard times, some recessions. Uh, but are you ready to help those, literally, who are in need? Or will you be the person who is always in need? Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, you are holy. We pray today, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that you give us today our daily bread. Lord, I pray that you give us our daily needs and we pray that we don't overextend ourselves. I pray for those who need to hear it, that they are convicted about any wasteful spending. We have many prodigals today. They just didn't go into the far country. They stay in the church and they waste. And I pray that you help us, that you give us wisdom, that you give us the knowledge to say no to the pulling of the world to waste. 
And Lord, that we can be prepared for the coming challenges, the hard times. And I pray that you create in us a new spirit that is able to deal with this. As we're facing what's taking place, Lord, that we're reaching out to those in need and those that need help. Um, Lord, that we are being the church you've called us to be. That we are a holy people, not only in name, but in action. That we're no longer the people that say, I'm a Christian, but I don't do what Christ calls us to do. And Lord, that we continue to preach the good news of Jesus through all of this. And I pray as we look at these things, Lord, that you soften people's hearts. That they realize they need you. That the government cannot solve all our problems. At the end of the day, you hold the power of life in your hands. We pray that people believe in you, that they are saved by your grace, that they live holy, that we may be the holy people that respond in the hard times, the challenges of these days that you've given to us, and that we are good stewards of what you've given us, that we are the church, and you are our Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, church, stand with us and receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his face to you and give you peace. Church, go in grace and peace. You are dismissed. God bless you.